Did you ever wake up after what you thought was a good night's sleep, only to discover that you're still tired? And I don't know how many times when, when Marilyn and I get up and say, well, hi, this morning, I'm tired. You know? We're tired. Uh, how many times have you come back from a vacation and had to rest up for two or three days? Because you were worn out from your vacation. You know, I think we can all identify with the feeling of being tired and that we need more rest. And the older I get, the more rest I think I need. But it escapes us. We need rest. And even when it seems within our reach, it somehow slips through our fingers. Well, you know, some might suggest that this problem with finding rest is, is just a symptom of our fast-paced world in which we live. But even the Israelites had trouble finding rest 3,500 years ago. They had been under the yoke of oppression for 400 years and were badly in need of rest as a nation, and God promised to give it to them. He promised them a land of rest, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where houses were already built and vineyards and orchards were already producing. All they would have to do is occupy the land. And he said he would give it to them. But when the time came to enter the promised land of rest, they lost faith and therefore lost the rest God had promised to give them. Well, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that God still offers rest to his people. But the danger of failing to find it is also still present. So if we want that rest, we better learn from Israel's mistake. They didn't find the promised rest, and the writer uses their failure to hopefully motivate us to find the rest God offers. He says, in effect, let us find rest, and offers some more lettuce we need to add to our spiritual diet. Let us fear. Let us be diligent. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. If we'll do what he prescribes, we will find the rest God promises his people. And it's a much more satisfying rest than what could ever be found from a perfect night's sleep or the vacation of our dreams. In our pursuit of rest, we begin by being fearful of missing it. We're in Hebrews chapter 4 this week. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. 
For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today saying through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. The rest that God offered to Israel was actually just a type, a picture of the true rest God has always wanted to give those who would trust him. Israel was offered a land of rest, but God's rest is more than just a place where houses have been built and crops are ready to harvest. That's a truth the writer of Hebrews understood, but one he had to make sure that his readers understood as well. So he began by assuring them that the promise of entering God's rest remains. The promise wasn't lost when Israel first failed to enter the promised land. For we have had good news preached to us just as they. They were told they could enter a promised land of rest, and we've been told we can find rest as well. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the good news of a promised rest is still available. In fact, it's been available since the seventh day of creation. On that day, God rested from all his work. And since that time, he has offered to share his rest with any who would rest in him. Now, even David understood that the rest of God wasn't fully expressed in the promised land. He was actually living in the land of promise when he spoke of the rest available from God today. Today. A rest that went beyond the rest Joshua provided for those of God's people who did have faith enough to finally enter into the promised land. So God's rest was available before the land of Canaan was promised to the Israelites. And it's something that goes beyond the rest that was available in Canaan. However, just As the rest promised in Canaan was lost, so God's perfect rest can also be lost. Many of those to whom the promise of rest in Canaan came lost it because they didn't really believe what they heard. The word didn't profit them, our author notes, because it wasn't united 
by faith. They heard the promise of God, and they believed there was a land of rest, but they did not have faith enough to enter it when God told them to do so. Therefore, they lost it. God took it out of their reach. He let them wander in the desert 40 years until a new generation had arisen that would believe him and enter into the land of rest when he said they could have it. By the same token, we who have heard his promise of rest today need to unite that promise with faith if we're to profit from it. Even though rest is available, it will do us no good if we don't enter it. Now, just what is this rest available to us today? Our author calls it a Sabbath rest. In fact, he may have coined a special word, sabbatismos, to express it, for it appears only here in the Bible. It's a special rest patterned after God's own rest that began on the seventh day. A rest that continues even today. And as a side note, I might add that that fact gives some support to the idea that the days of creation were long periods of time, not simply 24-hour periods, because the seventh day, God's day of rest, extends even until today. Be that as it may, God is resting and still resting from his work of creation. And that does not mean God is inactive. He's still very much at work in the universe and in our lives, okay? But his work of creation is done, and he can enjoy the rest of accomplishment, the rest of completion, the rest of satisfaction with a job well done. And that is the kind of rest God offers to his people today. The rest of knowing the work of salvation is done. The rest of knowing that we are at peace with our creator and that we can rest secure in his love forever. That is the rest he offers today. It's a rest that brings peace, that brings freedom from anxiety about the future. It's a rest that comes even in the midst of hectic activity. It's a rest that calms the soul. That's the rest God makes available to his people today. But we must be diligent to enter that rest just because it's available doesn't mean it's ours. Any more than the promise of a land of rest guaranteed to every Israelite that they would enter the promised land. So let us be diligent. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow 
and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I'm afraid I'm going to have to backpedal just a little on something that I said in the first sermon from Hebrews. I entitled the first sermon, God's Final Word, and noted that before Jesus, man had been given a partial word, but that in Jesus we were given the final word, and that word was the living word. While making the point that Jesus is the living word of God, I jumped ahead to Hebrews 4.12 and noted that Jesus was there referred to as the living word of God. I even made a rather rash statement. I said, contrary to the popular assumption, the living word of God is not the Bible. Well, upon further study, I have to acknowledge I probably shouldn't have said that. The early church fathers and many of the early commentators did see in verse 12 a reference to Jesus as the Word, the Logos of God, as as did I. And that understanding, I think, is supported by verse 13, where the author goes on to speak of him, Jesus, and not of the written Word of God. But most modern commentators still feel that verse 12 is primarily a reference to the written Word of God, and that does seem to lend itself better to the idea of diligence. Now, the Israelites failed to enter rest because of their disobedience, their lack of diligence. So how can we be sure that we don't fall into the same kind of disobedience? By diligent use. Of the Word of God. By letting God's revealed Word do its work in our life. And even the written Word is living and active. Not in the sense that it's ever changing, okay? But in the fact that it's not a dead historical document. It's alive and active and able to cut through all the hypocrisy and pretense that keeps us from entering into God's promised rest. The children of Israel thought of themselves as God's people. But when faced with a final test, their true nature was exposed and they failed. We, therefore, must be diligent to expose ourselves to the Word of God while there is still time to do something about our condition. We need to use it to judge our thoughts and intentions now. We need to let it enable us to see ourselves as God sees us before Judgment Day. We need to let it cut deep into our being, making clear to us our spiritual nature and the restlessness we'll never be able to satisfy until we are reconciled with our Creator. We need to come face to face with our fallen condition And then do what it says we must do. But some might ask, what does that have to do with rest? Sounds like a lot of work, this diligent examination of God's Word. And it is work. 
But if we will do it, we'll discover the way to rest, real rest. And we will be able to rest from our labors to find God's favor. It will allow God's word to do its work in our life. We'll come to the realization that the only way to find rest is to throw ourselves in complete trust upon the love and mercy of God. When we learn to do that, we will find rest. Rest for our spirit and for our soul. Our spiritual nature will be at rest because we will have discovered that we can't save ourselves by our works. And that only God can save us. Then our souls, our mind, will, and emotions will be at rest because we'll stop fretting about everything that comes along. We won't see the giants in the promised land as impossible obstacles, but opportunities. For God to work on our behalf. The written word of God will have brought us face to face with the living word of God, a Savior. And our rest will then merely depend on holding fast to him. So let's hold fast. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as are we, yet without sin. We have a great high priest in Jesus. As we mentioned last week, the Latin word for priest means bridge builder. Jesus is the one who bridges the span that keeps us from peace and rest. Jesus is the bridge over troubled waters. Those of us of my generation know where that comes from. The rest of you is like, huh? Jesus is the bridge over troubled waters. He's the one who has passed through the heavens and can therefore bring us into the presence of God. He is therefore the one to whom we must hold fast. If we've confessed Him as our Savior, let's trust Him to be our Savior. Let's believe Him when He says He can give us rest. Let's believe him when he says we do not have to worry about tomorrow. Let's believe him when he says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that means there is no need to be thrown into despair by frustration and failure and sin. Because Jesus understands our weaknesses. He became a man and faced all the temptations we will ever face so he can understand what we're going through. We have a compassionate high priest. He has been there. He has done it successfully. But he has done it. He knows what we're going through. So he knows what we need. And he's promised to meet our needs. He knows how hard it is to face the struggles of life. 
but he can help us deal with temptations and weaknesses and failures. We can rest. We can rest in his ability to see us through if we'll just hold fast to him. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord if we'll just hold fast to him. If we claim he's our Savior, have confidence that he has and will save you. That's where we find rest. So let's draw near. Let's draw near to God in full assurance because of Christ. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And may find grace to help in time of need. We can have confidence before God. Because his throne is for us who hold fast to Christ a throne of grace. Not a throne of judgment. The throne of God no longer frightens us. It encourages us. It gives us confidence. It gives us hope. Because for us who are holding fast to Christ, the throne of God is not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. We've got to get that in our head. That will change us. That will change us. And when we draw near to God through His Son, we find mercy and grace to help. In time of need, we find peace and we find rest. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to worry about our acceptability before God. We don't have to keep weighing the good and the bad in our life, hoping against hope that we'll make it to heaven someday. No, it's all gone. That rest he gives is the confidence that Christ is our Savior. And if we'll just entrust ourselves to him, hold fast to him, we don't worry about the future. We find rest today. I love that word, today. There's no need. No need to be afraid. There's no need to remain in the wilderness. There's no need to fear any longer except a failure on our own part to enter into the rest. And if we'll not fail to enter God's rest, if we've learned our lesson from the Israelites, we will not fail to enter his rest. If we have diligently examined his word, discovered our true condition and come to realize that the only way we can find rest is by holding fast to Jesus, trusting him completely to see us safely into the presence, into the rest of God. And that rest can be ours today if we'll but trust and obey. Trust him when he says, 
He alone can give, him, give us rest and obey him when he tells us how to enter his rest. So if you want to enter into his rest, come and do so. By expressing your trust in him and demonstrating your willingness to obey him. The Israelites just sat there. He said, it's yours. There it is. I provided it for you. And they sat there. Don't miss the rest, God promises, by just sitting there. Let's stand. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Father, help us to understand that obedience is not something that is hard. Obedience is not a detriment.